start off this morning with a quick poll. How many of you like to go and get your annual physical checkup with the doctor? A couple. There you go. How many of you say, that is not what I like to do? All right, a few more of those, so we're seeing where this goes. How many of you are a little indifferent? You're kind of, meh, it doesn't matter one way or the other. All right, we got a few of those as well. Yes. Well, for some, annual checkups are decent experiences. You're kind of like, hey, this is all right. I don't mind going. I feel like I'm in good health, and the doctor is hopefully just going to validate that. Our levels are good, and sometimes... If you are having, like, the good readings, it's nice to get recognition for those healthy levels, right? Like, oh, my cholesterol is down, or whatever it might be. Now, some of us, that's not so much. It's a dreaded experience. We don't like getting poked. We don't like getting prodded. We don't like having ourselves checked out from head to toe. Uh, We don't like having our blood drawn. We don't like any of those things. And that's all right. You know, some of us go to the doctor and we get high marks. We get, we get told our cholesterol is high, our blood pressure is high, our glucose is high, our salt is high, whatever it is, you know. We get all those marks and then we get the saying, but you've got low levels in your metabolism. Like, who doesn't want to hear that, right? No, no. Most of us are like, yeah, I'd like to hear some good news. And so... A lot of us are kind of whatever about going to the doctor. And so we do that on an annual basis or biannual or triannual or you say, I'll go once a decade. Maybe that'll be the the way to go for some of us. We don't like getting poked and prodded. We don't like being looked over from head to toe or, or having blood drawn. But all these tests and exams are meant to help us. They're meant to at least... or maybe encourage us in the state of our health. And it might show us what is going well. It might show us what are some areas where we need to focus some attention going forward. We may need, we may learn, and we, we all love to hear, you really should exercise a little bit more. Do you walk at all? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you take those walks? Do you get any type of physical activity? Maybe you need to adjust your diet a little bit because this is, you know, being seen as an indicator. And if I'm, you know, just hurting you in your heart because you're hearing this and you're like, I'm just so feeling this right now. This is meant in love, okay? Um, maybe you need to seek some treatment or medicine, but you, the, the idea is that you receive the evaluation, you receive the recommendations, and then you can decide what you're going to do. You can say, ah, I don't believe that. I feel like I'm in good health. I'm okay. I don't need to worry about that. Others of you are like, mission critical. You know, we're, we're going DEFCON 4. Um, we got to get this taken care of. So the process may not be fun or pleasant, but the result is that we have a better picture of what we may need to do to stay healthy or even become healthy once again. So with that as a backdrop, I want you to take your Bibles because we're going to dive into the Word of God, all right? So take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 2. So if you get into your YouVersion Bible apps, you can scroll to the very end of the list of books and go up a couple. Or you can flip, if you've got your handy-dandy paper copy, you can flip towards the end and then go a little before Revelation and just after 1 and 2 Peter. 
So 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And the Apostle John is going to be providing us with a test for our spiritual lives. He's going to give us, in a sense, a spiritual lab test. So throughout this letter, he's been writing about his desire for these first century believers to remain connected with God. His main goal throughout this letter is that they will be able to find and maintain fellowship with God, the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's his goal. And so he, to help with that, presents another lab test for our spiritual lives. This is a certain measure, even if our circumstances or the world around us is really uncertain. He gives us this assurance that if we follow this, we will be able to see where our spiritual health is. So let's read from 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 6. And it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, for those of you who like to take notes, I've entitled this message, The Test of Love. Because I think John is giving us this this indicator for us as we walk in our spiritual faith. And in these verses, he's again encouraging his readers, those who have believed the gospel message, about the important things for living out their faith in Christ. So far in this letter, he's given us this idea of continuing to walk in the light because God is in the light. And so wherever God is, we want to be as well. He also tells us to recognize and confess our sins to God. That, that should be a, a process that we don't deny that we've sinned or that we may, have, may be in sin, but that we confess that and, and that helps us to remain connected with him and be in the light. And he also, just before this passage, talks about keeping the commands that Jesus gave us. And so, as a segue, he broaches the topic of love. And in verse 6, he starts a topic where he says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. So as he prepares the readers for the topic he's about to lay on them, he reminds them, hey guys, listen. You want to live out your faith in a productive way. You want to live it out in a way where you are connected with the Lord day by day. And so to do that, you're going to need to walk with him and remember to follow Jesus' ways as your example. In everything that you do, you should be following him. So he launches into a few comments about a commandment that's not new, that it's old because you've heard it before. But it's also new for us. We read this and we can get confused. Well, it's not new, it's old, but it's actually new. And we might read it and we might say, John, like, focus here. What are you trying to say? Like, are you just, like, 
wandering in your thoughts and you're just kind of babbling. And let me try to summarize what I think John is trying to say here. He's saying love is an old commandment with a new capability. I think what John is saying is love is something that you've heard about for a long time and that now there is a new possibility, a new capability of how to love. And in effect, John impresses on us this idea that love and loving one another is something that we've heard before. From the time that we first heard the gospel and then accepted it, we have heard that we need to love one another, right? Most of us have heard from the time that we've entered the church about loving each other, being kind to each other, all of those types of things. And as we hear about Jesus and we, as we've had Jesus preached to us and then we've relayed his life and his teachings and his actions and his love, each of us has experienced and felt that love at some point in time. But the, the truth is that the idea of love is something that has gone and been in existence way before Jesus ever hit the earth. So in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, God commands the Israelites, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, listen, I have collected you as a community, as a people unto myself, and as one of those things that we need to live by within this community is we need to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, if someone does you wrong, don't just go after them right away. Love them. Like, let's let work through this and love your neighbor as yourself. So, some 1,300 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, God had expressed this command to love each other, especially those who are in your family, your spiritual family, and your community. And let's face it, 1,300 years is a long time, right? So, if you are someone who's 95 years old or more, maybe we would consider that person to be old. So the converse of that is, if you're not yet 95, you're not old yet. Okay? So take comfort in that. Maybe you just have a little more experience than others. Okay? But 1,300 plus years prior to Jesus coming and talking about this, God had given this commandment. So we know that it is old in that sense. And John also reminds us that we've heard it before because Jesus himself taught about this. And this is where John can say that it's old, but it's also new because 1,300 years ago it was. Jesus talked about it, and that was just in the recent past, maybe 50 to 60 years before John is writing this. So it's new also because Jesus said it's a new commandment. Look at John 13, 34, where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus reiterates the command from Leviticus. In a sense, he says, there you heard, love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm saying, love one another. And he does so, I would say, in classic Jesus style, right? Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he's talking about the things that happened in the Old Testament through the, the Torah, you know, the, the law that was given down, maybe even in some of the Psalms, and he usually quotes it, and then he puts just a little bit of a spin on it. Or 
I wouldn't even say a spin on it, but what he tries to do is he reiterates it, and then he expands it. And I think what's cool is he clarifies and refines it by saying, just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. So I think that's something for us to think about. Just as Jesus loved us, we are to love one another. He's now come and said, all right, you couldn't by yourselves keep that commandment to love your neighbor as yourself on your own because most of the time your love was selfish and you, you would do things that would interest yourself. But now I'm coming and I'm showing you a new way to love. And I think John can then say that the old commandment to love one another now has a new capability, a new way for us to look at things. And it's become new and improved in that Jesus has infused it with a richer and deeper meaning than ever before. Because before it was just love your neighbor as yourself and you try to do that and you try to figure that out on your own. But now it's become a new commandment because our ability to love one another is possible in a way that we could never love before. On our own, we can't love like Jesus did because I'll speak for myself, my love can sometimes be pretty selfish. Like how does it benefit me you know, I, I want to love and I want to help, but, you know, sometimes maybe it gets in the way of what I re- really want to do. Just being honest, I think we sometimes can experience that. And in our own thinking and ways, our kind of love goes that selfish route. And so Jesus, as he walked this earth, displayed and modeled for us a kind of love that was never seen before. And this is the love that we are now supposed to imitate. So let me just remind us that Jesus brought into this world a new order of life, which really has changed everything, right? Before Jesus came into the earth, we were kind of lost and without any hope. But now he's presented to the entire world the kingdom of God. And he's revealed the love of the Father to each and every one who would receive it. And this kingdom of God, which is new to us, operates under principles that are very different from the principles that we were used to. As Jesus ushered it in, he showed the world perfect traits like humility, compassion, kindness, gentleness, love, someone who's trustworthy, someone who can speak and confront us, but there's such love and grace behind it. Like Jesus showed us those things and he modeled it for us. And so now we can act in the same way. Jesus, the light of the world, truly did shine against the darkness that the world experienced. His love shines like a brilliant flame, kind of like a match that's struck in a pitch black room. And all of a sudden there is new light and we can see things in a different way. We can see the things that are all around us. Think about the ways that Jesus acted in love while he was here on earth. They were so different and contrary to the world at that time and maybe even now. Think about the story of Jesus and the leper. Jesus has come down from the Sermon on the Mount and he comes and he meets a man who is a leper. And if you know anything about church history, you know that a leper, that was like the cursed sickness to have. You had a skin disease that just was highly contagious 
And so if you had any sign, any symptom of being a leper, you needed to quarantine yourself. You needed to be out of society. In a a sense, you were ostracized from society. And if you were going out and you were walking outside, you had to be shouting for everyone around to hear, unclean, unclean, do not come near me. I am unclean. You do not want to touch me. You do not want to come near me. And this man has lived a lonely life for however long. And Jesus, in this encounter with this man, he comes and and the man wants to be healed. And Jesus not only says, you're healed, he comes and touches the man and says, you're healed. Now, this would have been something that would have been bringing shock and awe to everyone who watched. They're like, he just touched the leper. That's terrible in the sense for Jesus' own safety. You know, so when Jesus healed the man, he did something that crossed some social boundaries at that point. He loved this man in a new way. Think about the man who had a withered hand. He came into church and he, uh, Jesus was there and he was teaching and he had a withered hand. And he too wanted to have healing. He wanted to hear what Jesus was all about. He didn't know exactly, but he, he came in and he had this withered hand. And it was the Sabbath, which in Jewish culture, you did essentially nothing on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders are watching and they're wondering what he's going to do. And Jesus says, be healed. He says, your sins are forgiven you and be healed. And the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders get all up in arms because you can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't exert any kind of power. And Jesus says, listen, this man just wants to be healed. He wants to be restored. And he confronts the Pharisees in a loving way. And he says, which of you, if one of your sheep goes and falls into a pit, wouldn't go and, and get them out of the pit and take care of them on the Sabbath? Even though you're not supposed to do anything, you're not supposed to herd your sheep, you're not supposed to do anything along those lines, who of you wouldn't do, go do that? And yet you're coming after me because I want to touch this man and heal him. And so he does that even though in the religious and conventional way, that wasn't something that he should have done. Like, praise the Lord that he did that. How about the woman at the well? Jesus was a Jew, okay, by race and by by nationality, and he's walking through a region of Israel called Samaria. Well, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. That would be a mild understatement. There was a lot of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. And so, but Jesus had to pass through Samaria to go down to Jerusalem. And they stopped at this little village, and they, he stopped at a well while the disciples went inside the, the village to get some food. And this woman comes out, and she starts to retrieve water uh, in the middle of the day. And the reason she's doing it, that is she has a little bit of a sordid past. And she knows that, uh, hey, I've learned that to avoid any snickering, to avoid any whispers, any gossip about me, I'm just going to go midday. That way I don't have to deal with anyone. I can just avoid everyone who's going to be there. And uh, I can get my well, well water and, and be on my way. 
And Jesus is there, and he starts to strike up a conversation with her. And she immediately knows, like, this is not culturally right. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're a man, I'm a woman, you shouldn't even be talking to me. But Jesus does, and he has a conversation that really gets to where she's at in her life. And he ministers to her, even though she's had five husbands and is shacked up with someone who isn't her husband. Jesus ministers to her and says, listen, you can, you can walk a new life. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. You don't have to carry the weight of this burden on you anymore. And so Jesus ministers to this woman, again, crossing cultural lines, crossing conventional boundaries that shouldn't have allowed him to do that. But he said, you know what? I love her so much that I'm going to do this for her. Or Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, if you, you don't know, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Okay? Even in this day and age, if you work for the IRS, we love you, but your position, not as much. Right? So if you're in here or if you're online and you're like, that's me, we still love you. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and even though we might have a little bit of dislike for uh, taxes and things, this, what, what we have now is nothing in comparison to what they had then. The, the tax collectors that day were despised. They were like traitors to uh, their, their countrymen because the Romans hired them to be the ones who exacted all the taxes from, uh, from each person. And there was all kinds of taxes that would come, and so they had to go and, and meet with the tax man. And Zacchaeus also used that to swindle some people, so that also made him even more despised. But Jesus had an encounter as he was walking along. He saw, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? Some of you know that song. And he, he, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. I want to have supper with you. Let's, let's just get to know each other. Let's just hang out and let's have some food. Which, again, would have been very shocking for anyone to say, yeah, I'm going to go have dinner with the tax man. And Jesus crossed that boundary and he just said, you know what, I need to love this man. And here's the result of what happened is Zacchaeus, just after having this encounter, he said, you know what, I realize that I've been living wrong, I've done wrong things, and so I'm not only going to pay back what I've swindled people out of, I'm going to, you know, contribute four times as much back. I'm going to give back all the stuff that I've swindled people out of because of this encounter that I'm having with you, Jesus, right now in this place. So many interactions in the life of Jesus. There are so many healings and deliverances and and just messages of freedom throughout this time. And last and most important of all, I think we all can recognize Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. He left his throne of glory next to God the Father. Like he said, you know what? I'm going to get off this throne and I'm going to go and I'm going to interact and I'm going to minister to these people. He took on human flesh and he walked among us for 30-some years and then at the end, he was beaten and tortured. He was whipped and flogged. He had a crown of thorns that was stuck on his head 
Like it was jammed in there. I have blackberry bushes in, in my garden that when I go and I try to pick blackberries or I'm trying to trim some of the dead stuff out, I get scratches on my arms. Those are just little thorns. I cannot even imagine the pain that it must have been to have that jammed into his head. Yet he did that for us. He allowed his hands and his feet to be nailed to a cross. He allowed, as he was hanging there, to have a spear thrust into his side. And then he died on our behalf. All of you, all of me, every one of us, because of his great love that he gave himself for each one of us, we can now live a new life. And he shined love in the way that it was meant to be displayed from the very beginning of time. But he brought it forward in a new capability through his life and through his death on the cross. And so this is the kind of love that we're to show as believers. The new commandment that we are to follow. As believers, we've been given a new life, a new order, a new way to live. And because we've received this new life in Christ, and because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we now can love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the way that God originally intended. And some of us may say, I don't know that I can do that. The good news is, it's not you anymore. It's Christ who lives in you that gives you that power. We have become new creatures in Christ. Second Corinthians says, old ways are gone, the new has come. And so I don't have to go around and I can't really go around saying anymore that, hey, I am just the same man that I've always been. I'm just in a new kingdom. Like I have a different address. Like that's not how it's supposed to work. Instead, we are a new person in a new kingdom, and we are to follow new patterns in a new way of life. And that is why I think John can say that this new commandment is true in him, Jesus Christ, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. And one of those patterns centers around how I love those around me, especially my new spiritual family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of this new life, we can now love in the same measure as Christ has loved us. That is, we can sacrifice ourselves, we can be selfless, and none of us, I think, have had to experience it, but we may even be selfless and sacrificial even unto death at some point in time. We just don't know. Now, I think that in general, we understand this here at Portview. Take a moment and look around at your beautiful Portview family. If you need to stand up and look around, do that. If you need to look at the camera so that they can see you out there, do that as well. Look around at your Portview family and see how beautiful and loving they are. Maybe smile to someone. Right? We are family because of what Christ has done in us. And I think that at Portview, we understand that we are to love each other. That Pete and and be there for each other. And, I mean, because at Portview we are... Okay, we kind of get it. At Portview we are... People who care. Good job. Good job. So we're people who care. And the foundation of all that we do, we want it to come from a heart that is caring and loving and concerned with others. We're really trying hard to show care and love in all we do. Are we perfect? I, I know I'm not. 
So if I'm just one part of the, the church, I make the whole church imperfect, okay? So, but I think that we get this commandment overall. We want to care for, we want to love, we want to help those around us. But consider for the moment the current cultural environment that we find ourselves in and that it has made it a little bit more challenging than it maybe it has in the past. Topics these days, <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir, topics these days have become so polarizing that if I disagree with you, you all of a sudden, I'm like your worst enemy. Right? So I'm going to get into some people's business here, but know that I'm doing this in love. Okay? So I'm going to say a word, and most of you are going to have a visceral reaction. COVID, masks, vaccines, okay, social distancing, all of those things, I think we're all so tired of it that we're like, oh, please stop. And we may be on one side of the issue, and others of us may be on the other, and yet in this environment that we find ourselves in, like, I can't have a civil conversation with this side anymore. It has gotten so ridiculously angry and hostile. And unfortunately, that's even within the church. And I think overall, we do a pretty good job. But there are churches, even in this area, that have been just decimated by the the hostility and the anger that has arisen over some of these items. You know, I don't even have to get into politics. Like, oh, let's, let's not go there. I wrote down some things. I'm not going to bring them up. That'll bring you too much into people's business. Okay? But I think you're all connecting with this idea like, oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to use just, I'm going to use the stances. And I'm not saying one way or the other. Republicans... Democrats, like in a way, we, we kind of have this, this area that never the two shall ever meet again, you know, and whatever side of the aisle you are on, that's your choice. Like as you are living out your faith, you choose which side you're going to be on of the political spectrum. We can go on and on. Here's some, maybe some lighthearted ones, Packers and Bears Ooh. or Browns. There you go. Some of you love this kind of weather. Some of you hate this kind of weather. Now, and over on social media a few years ago, there was the whole thing of, is the dress blue or is it white? Is it a banana or is it a bun? You know, it's ridiculous stuff too that we can get all up in arms about. And I think John is saying, this is not how it should be. And I'll be honest, it grieves my heart when I think about how hateful and mean-spirited people have become. And I dare say, even within the church, that we can get so upset about something that we just say, you know what, I'm done. Some walk out of the church never to enter the doors of any church again. That is tragic. And I think... We need to be all about loving one another. And so hopefully we can have civil 
discussions, even if there are differences of opinion. And, you know, we might laugh about some of these things and they're okay, but I don't want this to ever be a thing where this creeps so much into the church that the church is now so divided. Someone disagrees with something, maybe it's one small comment or thing, and the person or family gets angry and, and they leave the church and they start bad-mouthing the church. And, you know, everyone in the church is just horrible and, and super critical. Yeah, sometimes we are critical. I think we, it just comes out in the wrong way, but the heart and the mind and the intent is where it needs to be, like we're trying to love you and to help you. But we need to be different. Don't just leave the church. Don't just blast things on social media. Don't just, you know, spread, you know, wild accusations and rumors all, you know, to everyone and their mother that you can find. This is not how it needs to be for us in the church. Hopefully you can agree with me, brothers and sisters, that we have been brought into a new life that is different than our former life in the world. We need to love rather than hate. And John 13, 35 summarizes it all for us where it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is where we are to be characterized and this should be, in a sense, the emblem of who we are, that we love one another. We may be imperfect at it at times, but we love. We would come and we would you know, we would be there for anyone, anytime that we can. So we see that love, while an old commandment, has a new capability because of the example of Christ and the new life we have in him. And based on this commandment, then, we need to be having some spiritual lab work that's done. Our levels routinely need to be assessed. We need to be checking ourselves from time to time to see whether or not we are truly walking in this new life because that should be proved out by our behavior. Verse 9 of 1 John 2 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. We have this test of love that we can uh, go up against, and the results are going to show whether we are in the kingdom of light or whether we're in the kingdom of darkness. And this is what the true believer who knows God and walks in the kingdom of light should do, that they will both obey God and thus, love his brother and sister in Christ. Our love for people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, our Portview family, is that we will be a measure of our fellowship and connection with God. Our love should be a representation of how we are walking with the Lord. And so we have this test, am I in the light? And John lays this principle out for us, and then he's going to provide some characteristics or shall I say symptoms, of an unloving person. And we can use these to gauge we, where we are at. Because sometimes it's easy to see and, and talk about, here's the negative sides of things that we should be a watching for, because sometimes those are more evident for us to see. So, the first thing that we have is that a person who is unloving is in darkness. Verse 11 begins with, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. This person rather than being in the kingdom of light, continues to be positioned in the kingdom of darkness. Rather than being the new man in the new kingdom, they're trying to be the same person that they were in the new kingdom. Like, I just have a different address, but I'm going to just live the same way. 
it should be fine, right? That's what some of us have thought. And this person continues to function like they always did. And Titus 3.3 gives us a description of what we once were like. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. In darkness, we act selfishly. We act in ways that are sometimes just stupid. They're foolish. They're disobedient. We're, we are slaves to our own passions and desires sometimes. And we look out what's best for us rather than for others. The second thing that John points out, and he's refining and enhancing kind of symptom number one, is that you walk in darkness. John continues in verse 11, whoever hates his brother walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Not only is this person in the realm of darkness, they walk in and are controlled by the darkness. The kingdom of darkness controls their life and how they view it. The selfishness, the greed, the envy, the me, me, me attitude. That's where they are at. And this, these things control how this person responds to situations. This person's life is governed by their surroundings and their circumstances. If things are going well, well, yes, then life is going good. I'm happy and joyful because life is going my way. I've got not a care in the world. But if things don't go right, look out because they are going to be angry and rude and sullen and they're going to take it out on everyone. Don't you dare greet me. I'm mad. So don't smile at me. You know, we can get into those moods. And this is a person who is guided by their circumstances, by the things that are happening. Now, I am not saying that it's, it's wrong to sometimes you have a bad day and you're just trying to work your way through it. But if you have this as a characteristic day by day, month after month, we've got some problems to, to work through. There's no steady state to this person's life because they are always reacting to people and situations. A third thing that we have is that there is blind vision. The end of verse 11 says that they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This person, because of hate, because of an unloving attitude, has been blinded in their outlook. Their hatred blinds them so that they cannot see anything good or of value in the other person. Think about it. How many times have you observed other people because of their hate not being able to see the value that so-and-so could bring to a situation? Or maybe that there are actually some good qualities about so-and-so because there is so much hate. Their unloving attitude blinds them to the truth, God's truth, that each one of us has been created good by God, that each one of us is a unique masterpiece of God, and some of us are definitely unique, right? If that's you, you shout out amen. That's good. Some of us are blinded to the core message of the gospel that God loves when we are in this state and that we need to have a new vision of what life should be. We're blinded to it, and so we can't even see that there is a different way. And so that's another characteristic a fourth characteristic is being a stumbling block. In verse 10, John writes, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, 
And in him there is no cause for stumbling. So the characteristic for one who loves is, is this, that there is no cause for stumbling, but the opposite must be true for one who does not love. And because of their unloving attitude and the corresponding darkness in which they live, they become a stumbling block to themselves and possibly to others. Everywhere they turn, they find something to cause them to stumble, to get triggered, to get upset about something. Like everything is an affront to who they are. That's usually not a good place to be. If, if you are so sensitive that you get insulted or upset as a result. You might have heard, and we can sometimes laugh about it, well, there was a new person in my seat at church today, and I'm going to have words with them afterwards, because that can't be. My name is not officially written on it, but they need to know that it is my seat. Okay? Or, no one commented on my new outfit or my new hairdo. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. You know, no one, it, I, I, I just can't believe no one would, would care enough to say anything. Or, the worship team has not sang any of my, the songs that I like in a really long time. I think I'm going to start emailing, like, my list and all of that stuff. Okay? So, those are things that we can laugh about. The sad thing is, some people have become upset about those kinds of things. Okay? So, if you are, I'll call this person a prickly pear, like, be aware of that. That if you're constantly critical of people and situations, and it's, it's not in a, in a constructive way, but in a deconstructive way, that's not a good place to be. And so, I think we need to then analyze our hearts in those situations. If we're constantly upset and triggered by something, we may be causing then other people to stumble as well. Because the new person who had no idea that, well, that's your favorite seat, they're coming and they're just trying to find out about the Lord and you give them words after service because they took your seat. Well, you're now going to potentially cause that person to stumble because now they're like, huh, <laughs> I'm never going back to that church if they're, if they're going to treat people like that. You know, so if you are a prickly pear, I encourage you, anal analyze yourself. Look at yourself and see where you're really at. Are you so touchy and sensitive that others are going to stumble because they don't know what to do with you? That they are like, you know what, I'm going to try to avoid them because I just don't know how to handle them. Maybe they get triggered because the prickly pear is offensive and can't be reasoned with. And they're like, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. And so they stumble. Well, the good news is there's a flip side to all of this. And that we can see the traits, the positive healthy conditions, the positive symptoms of the one who loves his brother and sister in Christ. Number one, they're abiding in the light. They can see that they have moved into the new realm the new kingdom of light, the kingdom which Jesus rules and reigns in, and they're living in that light. They are no longer living in the kingdom of darkness, but they are becoming the new person in the new kingdom. They are becoming different from who they used to be. 
Number two, they're governed by his purpose. Rather than floating around with all of the the circumstances and situations that come along, they say, you know what? I'm going to follow what Jesus says. I'm going to go after the way that he has lived life. And so even though my situations and circumstances may still go like this, I'm still going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Because that's where the power and the authority is. I endeavor to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. And instead of reacting to those circumstances, they respond from a heart that is transformed and is being transformed into Christ-likeness. Because that's the cool thing, is that we are already and we are still having transformation being done in our lives. Third thing is that we have opened eyes. We have received the message of the gospel and we understand it. A person who is a loving person can walk around being able to see clearly because of the truth that has been revealed to them by God. They can see with a new outlook. They can look upon the people around them and have God's perspective concerning them. They can see that they have a spiritual family, that they have brothers and sisters with them in the light, walking together, trying to encourage each other along the way. And that there are people who are without Christ and that we sympathize with those who are without Christ because we were in that same spot before we came to know Christ as well. That we can understand, in a sense, their condition of being without Christ just as we were, but we've now been transformed and are being transformed. Lastly, with this person, there is no occasion of stumbling. A person who is loving is not going to be tripping up or stumbling constantly. They're not going to be triggered by every last little thing. Rather, they stay steady. They, they kind of keep on the straight and narrow. They keep going, even though things around them are, are uncertain at times. And so they can see how to avoid sinning and stumbling, and they look for every opportunity on how not to sin against another person because they are loving. They are trying to love their neighbor, love one another, and they interact with people in a way that helps them. So John has given us a helpful lab test for us to consider our spiritual health, one that is continually valid as we go through each day. We could look at the symptoms of the loving or the unloving heart and we could quickly say, I'm all good, no worries here. But I think that perhaps we should take this as maybe a, an ongoing checklist where we're looking and we're trying to recognize, do I have any of those symptoms inside of me that are keeping me from walking with the Lord in full communion and full fellowship? It's good to ask personally, Am I unloving in any way? Walking in darkness, am I, am I doing that? Am I constantly reacting out of my flesh? And maybe it's even just for a little season. All of a sudden, you're just a little off kilter, and you're like, wow, I'm really responding in a way that I haven't been as a believer. So do, where have I gone off? Where do I need to check my motives and check my understanding and check my relationship? Maybe I'm blind to my own hatred that I've, dehumanized so-and-so. Like, they're not even a person in my eyes because I'm so angry and hate-filled. Or am I the prickly pear? Some people don't know how to deal with me because I'm always angry. I'm always up in arms about stuff. If you see that in you, 
even from time to time, don't worry, there's hope. Because we can move from the unloving, hateful attitude into one that is filled with love. Just as we have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, we can now have the old things of our lives taken and starting to be removed, and we can be brought into a new way of love. And let me give you an example. So John, the very person who wrote this letter, is known in, from a story in Luke chapter 9 where he and his brother James were triggered by some people in a Samaritan village. They were walking through, this, and this is a different village than the one where Jesus met the woman at the well, but they were going through, and the people of the village didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Um, they knew that he was on his way to Jerusalem, and so they like, yeah, w- get out of here as fast as you can. And John and his brother James came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, can we call fire down from heaven and just burn these people up? Let them burn, Jesus. They deserve it. They're rejecting you. What other hope do they have? And all we get as follow-up is Jesus just rebuked them, and he, they kept marching on to where they needed to go. Jesus didn't even really acknowledge other than he said, nope, that's not how we do life. That's not how we live. That's not how we are, are going to operate in this kingdom. And John, now years later, can talk about, you know what, guys? We need to live a life of love. And that's going to be a sign that we are in the light. That we are in the kingdom of light. That the work that Jesus came to accomplish is being accomplished in us. And so, that same John, because of the ongoing transformation work in his life, could now live a life of love and call us to do the same. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you have given us an example of love. We thank you that as we come here today and we are sitting in your presence, we are your beloved children. That we are your precious sons and daughters. That you love us each so much. And we're thankful that you've given us an example through Jesus, of how to love. So we thank you for showing us how to love each other in a new, richer, and deeper way. And because of the new life that you have given us, we now can love each other in that same way. So today, we just humbly ask for your help to do that. We ask that you would give us your strength. We ask that by the Holy Spirit, you would help us to love just as the way you loved us. And it may be a growing process. It may be something that we have to learn and we may stumble and fall as we we are learning, but you are transforming us into this new person. So, Lord... Would you help us to love more selflessly, more sacrificially, with greater consideration for each other? And Lord, I'll even ask, would you let it begin with me? For I know I need to keep growing in love. Your love. I need to do better and better each day. And so Lord, I ask that you would help me, just as with every single person here and online, 
that we would be people of love. And if we have been unloving or hateful with one another, today we repent and we ask that you would forgive us for that unchristlike perspective, for those unchristlike actions that we have done. We ask that you would move us from that dark and blinded position into your kingdom, the kingdom of light, where we can see clearly. Continue to work in our hearts each and every day, we pray. Speak to us personally by the Holy Spirit today and each day after this. Lord, we want to not only be Portview Church of people who care, but we want to be individually and collectively people who love with such great intensity because of the love that you have shown us. So we ask that you would do that in our lives today. Each day, remind us, help us to see if we go off even just a little bit astray, help us to come back and begin to walk in love again. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we close out the service? I want to pray uh, the traditional benediction that we do here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in the love and peace of Jesus. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week. The altars are going to be open if you want to come and pray for a few minutes. Uh, we'll have some people here who can pray with you. Otherwise, go in the love of Jesus.